Well, friends, it is a great delight to finally meet you. This is my first time to Newfoundland. It's great to be here. Thank you. Um, I was warned not to give any Newfie jokes, but I did not need that warning. For about 10 years ago, I was uh, parked at the side of the road. Somebody had one of those truck caps that they were getting rid of put out on the side of the road, and I always drive old trucks, and I thought, hey, I could use a truck cap. So I was trying to put it in on the back of my truck, but nothing to attach it with, and this kind-hearted man stopped and got out, and he had things to attach it and he just got in the back of my truck and I I'm just standing there my hands in my pockets he's putting all this stuff together and I said man thanks like I don't I don't know how to thank you and he turned around and he said I'm from Newfoundland <laughs> we're helpful <laughs> that's all he said so from that moment on I have had nothing but good impressions of Newfoundland uh, so it's a delight to be with you, and I bring you greetings from Grace Fellowship Church in Toronto. Thank you for not stoning me, being from Toronto. I know we're not always welcome all across the country, um, but everywhere I go across this country and meet Christians, they are able to see past all that Toronto prejudice and uh, see brothers and sisters in the Lord. So it's great, really, really great to be with you. And I'm thankful for uh, what the Lord is doing here. I'm thankful for how he's using your new pastor and how we will continue to do that. I think you are a very strategic church in the kingdom of God in the country of Canada. And I hope that you will steward carefully what you have here, because you have the gospel, you have the word of God, you have great things to offer, not just to your province, but to your country and to the world. So uh, it's just wonderful. I'm just very excited to see all that the Lord is doing here. Well, I want us to look into the book of Proverbs this morning. We're going through the book of Proverbs in my church, and in thinking about how I might be of some encouragement to you, there's one great theme in the book of Proverbs that's really all through your Bible, and it's one of those themes I find as a Christian man, every single time I consider it, I am both rebuked and encouraged and reminded of the things that matter the most to God. I don't know if you're a fan of track and field, but on August 27th, uh, Usain Bolt won his 10th world championship, fourth time in the row um, that he won the 200 meter. He runs 200 meters in 19 and a half seconds. For any of you who are runners, you would probably get like 130 meters in that time, and he runs 200 of them, his top speed, sometimes reaching 48 kilometers an hour. I'm a cyclist. I'm happy when I hit 40. So uh, the fact that this guy can run that fast blows my mind. He's an incredible athlete. Uh, several years ago, being interviewed at the end of one of his races, he kind of did the Muhammad Ali thing, and he said this, I quote, I'm now a legend. I am also the greatest athlete to live. That's a pretty bold statement. Uh, after this race on the 27th of August, he did his little interview, and then off he went to do the victory lap around the stadium. And as he was walking along, draped in the Jamaican flag, there was a gentleman filming him, and he was riding on one of these segways, those odd mobile people devices, little wheels that spins around. And he had his camera, and he was coming up behind Usain, and something happened. He lost his balance, and his wheel ran up a railing and then shot out from underneath him, and he just got him right in the back of the legs and knocked him down flat. The two of them just collapsed onto the ground. And it brought to mind Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction. 
and a haughty spirit before a fall. And I think that's one of those proverbs that all of us are very familiar with because we've all had our share of falls. I had a literal fall once in my pride and in my arrogance. We were trying to get somewhere as a family and I was quite frustrated that my wife was not in the car when she was supposed to be. And I was being very Christian about it. Um, very, very Christian about it. And so she got to the car, I didn't say anything, and then we're backing out of the driveway and the dreaded words came, oh, I forgot. And of course, if you're uh, kind of a guy like me that likes to, you know, on time is 10 minutes early, uh, then uh, that's, those are not the words you want to hear. And so in my good Christian response, I said, no, let me, I'll get it, assuming that I could do this quicker. And so in my pride and in my arrogance, I ran in the house, opened the door, what we, I don't remember what it was we needed, but it was in the basement. And as I rounded the steps, I don't have proof of this, but I think it was a, a, a kind messenger of God stuck his foot out. <laughs> and I sort of came to at the bottom of the steps. It pretty much destroyed my ankle. And I actually started to weep, not because of the pain of my ankle, but because I realized how arrogant and proud I had been, how arrogant of heart I had been. And it took that to get me to my senses and to show me um, that I needed a humbling, and the Lord was kind, and he gave me one. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. C.S. Lewis said, there is no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves than pride. We can spot pride in another human being as quick as you see lightning in, an, in a midnight sky, and yet it takes a blow to the head with a two-by-four to expose pride in us. And that's kind of alarming because when you go through the book of Proverbs, one thing that Solomon makes clear is that the only way you will understand truth is if you have a humble heart. In other words, God resists the proud. It takes humility to listen to God's word with any shred of understanding. So Solomon, when he begins his sort of 10 lectures in the first eight chapters of the book of Proverbs, he says to his son, these things are written to give prudence to the simple. And, and what he's saying is you, you have to have the posture of a simple person. You need to be the kind of person who says, I don't know. I'm simple. I need instruction. I need understanding. So if you refuse to admit that you're a simple person, that you need understanding, what really you have no expectation that God is ever going to make himself known to you. Solomon told his son in Proverbs 3.34, Toward the scorners, he is scornful. But to the humble, he gives favor. James and Peter both took that proverb and in their language of the day, they translated it this way, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So there's two promises there, right? If you are proud, God is in opposition toward you. But if you're humble, you can expect God's grace. And I know which one I want. And I trust you want the same. That is why you can be a a brilliant researcher and not have a clue about God. You can have 
10 degrees and not understand anything about the reality of God because God deals with hearts, not smarts. Uh, you can be smart and know God, but if you're arrogant, if the posture of your heart is one that I don't need him, I'm not simple, I can explain the world in my own terms, then you may never expect that God will reveal himself to you. So if you're not a particularly humble person, in fact, you may even consider humility to be a sign of weakness. I want to invite you just for the next few minutes to be willing to go low, to be willing to humble yourself and say, all right, I'm willing to do this just for a few moments and I will listen to what God says about pride and humility. I think that's an important thing to do because if we're going to look at these texts and, and we want to look at them with understanding, we have to look at them from a posture of humility. Solomon said, Proverbs 11:2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. So it takes humility to be wise. It takes humility to understand what God thinks about pride and humility. So I want to just stop again and pray and ask the Lord to make us people of humble hearts. Let's seek God together. Father, this, this is one of these we know, Lord, this is one of these ground-level truths that as Christians we have to understand and live by. And I'm also praying for those who aren't Christians yet, maybe are exploring the Christian faith, maybe are skeptical of it, but are willing to be here and listen to the Word of God be taught. I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would humble ourselves so that we might hear from you and that you would teach us Make us willing to believe the things that you say, for they are true. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, let me begin by a little disclaimer. Pride is a bad thing, okay? But I'm not talking about the kind of pride that you feel when your kid learns to ride a bike. That's a great pride, right? You have pride in your child they've they've accomplished something nor am i speaking about the kind of pride when you really labor hard at a particular skill or art form and and you you finally accomplish it you, know, you finally get to that place where uh, the paintings you paint can actually be seen by other humans whatever it is and you have a certain level of pride in those things that's naturally good that's a that's a good thing we use the word in that way the pride that i'm speaking about here is the one that is condemned in the bible and let me begin by making this first observation. Pride leads to death. Now, we'll just kind of kick the door open on that one, all right? Pride leads to death. How do I know that? First of all, this. Pride is sin. Proverbs 21, verse 4. Haughty eyes, so arrogant, an arrogant outlook on life, haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, are sin. There you go. A proud heart is sin. An arrogant posture in life. When he talks there about the lamp of the wicked, so let your light shine. In other words, the, what, what comes out of your life. If, if that is all rooted in pride, that is sin. So pride is more than a character flaw. We need to be clear about that. It's far more than just, well, this guy's proud, but that's just kind of what his character is. No, that's, that's sin in the eyes of God. Now, I hope that starts to get your attention. Because whatever way pride displays itself in your life, it is sin. Whether that's the pride of acting very quiet and humble because you're so consumed with other people's opinions about you, or whether it's the pride of being blustery and full of yourself and bragging on yourself and always talking about yourself. Pride is amazing. We are, we are like pride experts. We know how to like just 
get it out in all kinds of different ways. Whatever it is, God views that pride as sin, and a particularly heinous sin. In fact, Luther, um, uh, Calvin, uh, uh, C.S. Lewis, all these guys seem to refer to pride as the root sin, the root of all other sins. It seems to be the one thing out of which all sin flows, and that may be. But either way, we know this. Pride is sin. Secondly, we know God hates pride. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, Proverbs 6.16, haughty eyes, top of the list, a proud heart. Proverbs 8.13, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. That's pretty powerful language. God doesn't hate a lot of things. I mean, I looked it up. God hates the devising of evil, Psalm 5, 5. God hates doing evil, Zechariah 8, 17. He hates idolatry, Deuteronomy 16. He hates the killing of innocent children, Deuteronomy 12. He hates hypocrisy, Isaiah 1. And God hates pride. He hates it. So whatever pride is, you're going to want to avoid it at all costs. If you discover that your very patient, loving, kind, wonderful wife who just you know, puts up with all your foibles and just doesn't seem to have anything. She doesn't sin. But one day she just tells you, you know, dear, there's only one thing in the world I hate. Beagles. I just hate beagles. Those dogs, I hate beagles. Now, if she tells you that, the first thing you're going to do is not go out and get her a beagle, Right? Nor when it's her birthday, you're not going to look for birthday cards with beagles on them. You're not going to send her, buy her beagle stationery. You're not going to reference beagles in your love poems to your wife. You just know that's the one thing she hates. Well, if God is telling us that one thing he hates is pride, then it ought to be a revulsion to us as well. It ought to be the one thing that we're trying to get out of our lives. God hates pride. Do you really want your life to be guided by something God has identified as a thing that he hates? You may be, you may be thinking, well, yeah, but pride is it's really hard to identify in my own life. You know, I think, that, of course it is. All the more reason to be in a community of believers and to be asking one another, where do you see pride in my life? In fact, that would be a great question this afternoon if you're with, some cre- with your family or other brothers and sisters in the church and you're just sitting around talking and just, just have the humility to actually ask, where do you see pride, arrogance in my life? Let me tell you another reason that pride leads to death. Pride is sin. God hates pride. God, thirdly, actively opposes the proud. Actively opposes the proud. Proverbs 16.5, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Proverbs 15.25, the Lord tears down the house of the proud. He opposes the proud. The proud are punished by God. The proud are opposed by God. Uh, The proud are resisted by God. This is vividly illustrated in the life of, in the book of Daniel, in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. You remember King Nebuchadnezzar, who really thought he was something. (laughs) 
And there were a couple instances in his life when God made himself known to Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar ought to have known better, and he had been warned. But at the end of 12 months, Daniel tells us, King Nebuchadnezzar was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. Imagine that, kids. He just ate your lawn. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers and his nails were like birds' claws. What's happening? God is humbling the man. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, now in the first person, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and He does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His stay his hand or say to him what have you done we sometimes say that to God right what have you done how could you do this to me Nebuchadnezzar this pagan king has an experience of God and his conclusion is that's not a you, you can't ask him that he's the king so from a Babylonian king to a Jamaican sprinter, God opposes the proud. He is against them. He's knocking them down. And I don't know about you, but when I read things like that, my mind starts asking, why? Why? Why is God so opposed to the proud? Why is God knocking down the proud? And I would suggest to you the reason is this. Because all pride is a rejection of reality. It's a rejection of reality. It's like the employee, you know, the guy you work with who is standing around the lunchroom and saying, man, if I was in charge, I would do this. And that boss, he doesn't know anything. He always, you know, that's a terrible decision. Now, you should have done this. And, and the room gets kind of quiet. And suddenly he turns and the boss is there. And that changes everything, Right? Because when, the, when he thought the boss wasn't there, when the boss wasn't listening, he could boast and he could, he could spout off. He could say whatever he wanted to say. But now he's living in reality. When we're proud, we take an authority and a value to ourselves that is not rightly ours. We elevate ourselves. And it's the kindness of God to expose this to us. It was the kindness of God to use language to humble the architects of that, that tower in Babylon, the Tower of Babel. I mean, imagine what it was like. You, you just get up like any other day. It, you know, John lives next door because apparently everyone in Newfoundland is named John or 90% of you are John, so I'll use John. So John's your neighbor and you're John too. So John and John are going to the tower to build the tower. And, 
And, and then you, you turn to John and you say, hey, can I borrow your hammer? And he answers you in a different language. And what he's saying is, why are you speaking a different language? And, and, and you just you can't communicate. Instantly, what is God doing there? He's saying, you'll not build this tower to heaven. I will humble you. I will bring you down because you're living in a false reality. You think you are something that you are not. In fact, if pride was to go unchecked in our world, men would increasingly become self-absorbed. And of course, the more self-absorbed you are, the more destructive you are to the people around you. That's when self rules the day. If God was not daily, hourly, minute by minute opposing the proud, I doubt the world would still exist. <laughs> because pride goes all the way back to Satan himself. Do you remember that passage in Isaiah 14 when Isaiah is pronouncing woe on the king of Babylon and he uses this language that seems to be alluding to the fall of Satan and what happened with that great angel, the highest of the angels, Satan, who became Satan because he rejected God. And so as Isaiah is speaking to the king of Babylon, he, he says this, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, these five I wills, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol to the far reaches of the pit. Pride is being like Satan and looking at God and saying, I'll take that throne, thank you very much. I'll rule. I'll rule my life. I'll take care of myself. I'll sit on the throne. I'll get myself to heaven. I will do enough things that, you, that will force your hand to let me into that eternal kingdom. Pride is probably evidences itself most routinely in our lives by just simply going through our days without even giving God a thought. Just living as if we were self-sufficient. As if we can control these hearts and minds that, that we can make this heart beat and we can make these lungs function. We ignore God. We act like we're just fine without Him. But the Lord has this wonderful way of flicking out those little toothpick crutches we live on and just knocking us down and reminding us. And that gracious fall gives us a glimpse of reality like Nebuchadnezzar got. Suddenly we see God for who God is and we see ourselves for the weak and incapable things we are. And my point here is that God does not oppose the proud because God is vainglorious. He's, 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 he's you know, self-absorbed self himself. God opposes the proud out of mercy and out of grace. He's not the self-absorbed king of the castle. God opposes the, the proud because all pride is a denial of the reality that your next breath depends on him. And you will stand before him and give an account of your life to God. If God did not resist the proud, we would all grow hard and calloused in our self-delusion of of power, of internal power. We'd live in this delusional fantasy of our own creation. None of us would know God at all. 
So pride is bad. Pride leads to death. And there's only one cure for pride, and that is humility. That's my second point. Humility leads to life. Humility leads to life and approval. Proverbs 29, 23. Listen, one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Proverbs 15, 25. The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but maintains the widow's boundaries. The widow is the most humble uh, citizen of, of the world in that day. Uh, Proverbs 18.12, before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Humility comes before honor. Proverbs 22.4, the reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. That's amazing. Riches, honor, life, protection. This is what is promised the humble. Who are the humble? The humble are the people who live like God is real. They're the people who admit that they did not self-generate but were created by God. They are the people who cannot uh, admit that they cannot self-propagate but they're kept alive by God. They're the people who admit that they cannot self-regenerate but they have to be made alive spiritually by God, rescued by God. Is that you? That's That's who the humble are. Or are you proud? Remember, you can, you can be proud and not know it. It's the one thing that's easy to see in everybody else and hard to see in yourself. Here's, here's a test for you. I think the best test to know if you're proud or humble, simply, honestly, transparently answer this question. Do I need God? Do you need God? If, if your answer is no, I don't, I don't need God, then that's a good indicator that you're still swimming in the pride ocean. I want to encourage you, thirdly, to choose the way of humility. If, if pride leads to death and humility leads to life, the obvious conclusion is choose humility. Choose humility. How do you choose humility? I'll give you some suggestions. The first is this. Make accurate assessments. Make some accurate assessments about what's really important in life. I love these Proverbs, the better Proverbs. You're familiar with these in the book of Proverbs? Where the author compares two things and he says, in reality, this thing's a lot better. And, and see, we typically get distracted by the one thing. We think, we think well, that looks good. And, and Solomon goes, well, well, you know, that's not so good. This is a lot better. So let me give you some examples. Proverbs 15, verse 16. Better is a little. It means little and possessions little of wealth better is a little with the fear of the lord than great treasure and trouble with it better is a dinner of herbs or how do you say that word in newfoundland is it herbs or herbs i every that you don't agree so you're okay you're, it's the same as ontario um, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it right Better is a dry morsel. This is Proverbs 17.1. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Proverbs 16.8. Proverbs 28.6. Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. 
naturally, we are terrible judges of what is most important. And Solomon says, a little with the fear of the Lord, a simple salad with a loving family, a piece of dry bread with peace, an empty wallet with righteousness, poverty with some integrity, is better, is better than feasting with fights, wealth with wickedness, treasure with trouble, banquets with blowouts, and riches with lies. you got to know which is better. Pride leads us to do these crazy things. We work ridiculous hours for a huge house that we're never in because we're always working ridiculous hours. You sleep with lots of people and you never find true love. You inject your bodies with all kinds of happy stimulants that only leave you feeling sadder and depressed. You see, you think, we think we know what is right. But you've got to stop and ask yourself the question sometimes. Is it better? Is it better to have 70, 80 years of financial success than to have an eternity of unimaginable happiness? Solomon is showing you wisdom. Proverbs 16, 19. Here's the proverb. It is better to be of lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. A lot of the times we want to divide the spoil with the proud. It's like Solomon is saying, it's better to be humble and have less than to be proud and lose everything. Oh, my friend, what, were all your, what, what will all your things avail you in the day of judgment? All your accomplishments, all your wealth, all your houses, all your cars, all your TVs, whatever it is, whatever you, you are seeking life in, what will all those things gain you in the great day, the day that matters most of all? God is telling you, assess wisely. Humility, the path of humility is the path to take. Secondly, do this. Make accurate assessments. Secondly, purposely take the lowest place instead of the highest. Proverbs 25, verse 6. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great. For it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. Somebody else said something like that, didn't he? Jesus told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed, what did he notice? How they chose the places of honor. Everybody wants to be an A-lister. You know, they got to get there. And I mean, imagine if you went to a wedding and you're just a, an invited guest to a wedding and you go to the reception and you, you take the seat, like the groom's seat at the head table. <laughs> and people look at you like you're crazy. What are you doing? It's, it's not your party, right? So Jesus says, there's all these guys coming in. They're looking for the places of honor. He says to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place, the walk of shame. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For, here's his teaching, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. 
This is an eternal and universal principle. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. How do I know it's eternal? How do I know this principle goes on? Because it is seen most clearly in the life of Jesus himself, who lowered himself to become a man, who lowered himself, humbling himself to be crucified for our sins. No one can nor ever will go lower than Jesus went. Which is why, Philippians 2, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And since he is king of everything, it begs the question, are you prepared to meet him? Salvation is coming to terms with your personal reality. It's admitting what you already know. It's humbly looking in the mirror and saying to yourself, self, you need a Savior. You are not good enough. A friend of mine in my church, he was uh, being trained. He's a paramedic. He was being trained on how to answer the press. So he went to a course, and part of the course is they videotape you, and he was watching himself, and he said in one of the videos, they were shooting from the side. Um, and the reason he was telling me about this is because I said, man, man, you've lost a ton of weight. What happened? And he goes, well, this is what happened. Uh, I saw the video of me from the side, and I thought, wow, I didn't know that's what I looked like. You know, sometimes you just need that in your life. You, you need to just see what you really look like. And that's what the Word of God does for us. It shows us what we really look like. We're nothing before this great God. Yes, He loves humanity. He loves humanity so much He sent His Son. But He sent His Son so that you would renounce all that self-reliance and all that self-improvement, all that self-salvation, and then receive all that Jesus did for you, for all sinners like you and like me. The gospel is never ever clean yourself up and make yourself fitting for God. The gospel is always admit your need. It, it's, it's humbling yourself. It's saying, I need a Savior. And friend, you can do this. You can do this. You can look in that mirror and you can say and agree with God, I need a Savior. And God says, I've provided one. His name is Jesus. Evaluate wisely. Go low, not high. Thirdly, never seek your own glory. It's not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's glory. I, I was, uh, I'm in the Maritimes. I had a new experience uh, several weeks ago. I was at a restaurant thing, and they were walking by with free food, and I'm never one to refuse. So I took a little cracker, and she said, these are lobster knuckles. Have you had lobster knuckles? Like, I couldn't get enough of these things. I mean, walk by again, dear. Come, come, just keep... Put that tray down. Let me feast. Little lobster knuckles on a cracker. Forget the cracker. Give me the knuckle. They were amazing. I couldn't get enough of lobster knuckles. Never had one in my life. That's all I want to eat now. But I am sure if you ate pounds and pounds of lobster knuckles, something bad would happen to your digestive system. And it was true in Solomon's day. Honey was a delicacy. And if you ate lots and lots and lots of honey, you will make yourself sick. It's not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's glory. Looking for your own glory, whether that's by arranging circumstances. So, oh, really? Yes, yes, I did do all that. Or prompting verbal answers. Did you notice anything new? 
however we do it, looking for our own glory is like overeating a delicacy. It will make you sick. It'll make you soul sick. There's no glory in seeking your own glory. Fourthly, always leave the pointing out of your great value to other people. I say this a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but you know what I mean. Leave the pointing out of your great value to other people. Proverbs 27, verse 2. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. A stranger and not your own lips. What would it be like at work if that was your guiding principle? Let another praise you. That may be the greatest lesson of all. Are you willing to pray in secret, give in secret, fast in secret, and never be written about, never be interviewed, never get a book deal? Just lead your Christian life. Are you willing to be passed over in your job because you're not self-promoting? I find it a very unchristian thing. Maybe you can argue with me later. Don't do it now because that would be embarrassing. But uh, this, this thing, a lot of Christians say it too. is like, well, you know, I'm really good at this and I'm really good at that and I'm, I'm, I'm really gifted here. And I don't know, that, that language just strikes me a little bit funny. Like, like really? Is, I, think, I think part of what God is telling us is, you know, let others praise you. Let others draw attention to you. Fifthly, don't overstate your abilities. Proverbs 27.1, do not boast about tomorrow. You don't know what a day may bring. <laughs> Once you come to terms with the fact that your calendar has no sway over what is actually going to happen to tomorrow, it's very freeing. <laughs> you can plan all you like. But in the words of James, come now you who say today or tomorrow will go into such and such a town, spend a year there, trade, make a profit. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting, all such pride is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it's sin. God willing ought to be a phrase in our vocabulary, not a trite one, but one we actually think about and one we actually mean when we speak to one another and we say, God willing, the men will be here at 6.30 in the morning Tuesday. That will be a miracle and that will be amazing. Finally, friends, keep your, short, keep your accounts short with God. Proverbs 28.13 says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. <coughs> one of the primary ways to cultivate humility in your life is to learn to confess your sins. Brothers, sisters, if you are hiding sin, if you are concealing sin from all the people around you, you may be very successful at that. But you are not hiding it from God. What you are doing is hardening and hardening and hardening your heart. Nothing breeds pride more than unconfessed hidden sin. When you hide sin, you deny God. Scoffer, Proverbs 21, 24. Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. Do you keep your accounts short with God? Do you confess your sins to one another? In all the appropriate, gender-appropriate ways, are you confessing your sins? Brothers, sisters, if there is ongoing, unconfessed sin in your life, you are walking in pride. 
And as one of the primary demonstrations of your own personal pride, God is opposed to you. God is going to bring about your fall. God loves you too much if you are his to let you carry on in that soul-killing direction. Keep your accounts short with God. Solomon says this in Proverbs 30, Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Number one, remove far from me falsehood and lying. We get that. Number two, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that's needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. That's a good way to live. It's a humble way to live. Give me just enough, Lord. Just enough. So friends, go low. Be humble. Live your life before the audience of one. And then just wait. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom. And humility comes before honor. Our problem is we want to get the honor. But you must have faith that humility comes before the honor. The honor will come. Maybe not in this life, but most certainly in the next. And that's the one that matters the most. Usain Bolt, I am a legend. There was another runner that made a movie about him. And Eric Little said something like this. God made me fast. And when I run... I feel his pleasure. That's a whole different way to live. May God give us grace to be humble. Let's pray together. And so our Father, we pray that you would, in your great mercy, cause us to be a humble people. We will trust you that there is grace for the humble. We believe, that, believe this because of Christ who has modeled it so perfectly for us. And so we pray it believing in His name and in His power. Amen.